Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today we bring you our fourth of four episodes in our Race and the Media series brought to you by the South African Media Innovation Program. For more on the excellent work they do in funding media startups, check the link in the description below. And today, through their wisdom and a little bit of mine, I bring you a guest that I've been wishing to have on this platform for many a long month. And that is a media titan, a former editor of the Mail and Guardian when she was still able to be a member of the Youth League and uh, founder of the Daily Vox, someone with vast and deep experience in the South African media landscape, Khadija Patel. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to SMWX. Wa alaikum salam and thanks for having me, Cesar. I was wondering whether you had something against me. Is this why <laughs> it's taken this long for me to be on? <laughs> all about the timing all about the timing. okay 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 well i have to say that there are many amazing things about you but um preeminent among them is that you're a liverpool fan um and you know this is one of your many virtues as as a you know virtue recognizes virtue so yeah <laughs> absolutely by the time we release this episode, we will have beaten Everton over the weekend, you know, exactly. well on our way to... You know, that 7-2 yeah. that defeat would be long gone. Yeah. Who would what? even remember that? I don't even yes. speak about... I don't even know if that <laughs> no. really happened. <laughs> how did you An actually... Anomaly. How did you get into supporting Liverpool, by the way? So my family, uh, my parents are huge sports fans. Um, mm. So I grew up in a home... Uh, where the TV was either on um, Sky News, you know, when this TV first started. So, you know, 20 past the hour on Sky News, there's sports news. Um, and, um, and my dad only had Sky News on because he was working for the sports news. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed the rest of the news. Um, yeah, but both my parents are huge sports fans. Um, uh, and really, I, I, you know, the way some people get into art or uh, Mm. through their parents um, or a film um, for yeah. in my home it, it was um, it was sport um, so whether it was golf tennis cricket rugby um, football um, you know there's always sport on uh, the tv over here so yeah so it's um, so it's, this is very much a Liverpool house uh, <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. My mom and I always, before COVID, we would always make a ritual of trying to catch the Liverpool, the Liverpool game. But um, anyway, we could go, probably go on for the whole day about Liverpool. Certainly. <laughs> um, Khadija, so this series is about race in the media. And I think the issues are well known, but media practitioners' experiences aren't as well known. Sometimes they're known within journalistic circles, but the public often doesn't know what journalists go through, uh, particularly black journalists, women journalists. And, and so I wanted to start by just asking you to think through some of your experiences in the media landscape. And, you know, when did you realize that race was an important factor in the way that journalism is practiced in South Africa and what are some of your experiences of of race's salience in the South African media? 
You know, um, Siswe, I think that I was first, you know, and most black journalists have this moment, um, you know, like that awakening moment um, to mm. the realities. Um, in, in, and it, that's true for most corporate spaces, social spaces. Uh, you know, there's this moment where you actually realize that actually, no, everyone here is not your friend. Um, and mm. those that may actually, you think that they're your friends actually have deep-seated uh, prejudices. Um, and that, you know, and it, it's very difficult to work, uh, you know, through that at first. Um, I was working, um, you know, at the Daily Maverick um, from 2011. Um, and... Um, and I mean, I covered many, many stories um, with, with the DM team. I was part mm. of the award-winning Marikana team. I mean, the DM was the first publication to break the fact, uh, uh, the news of the fact that there was a second uh, killing site in Marikana, right? Um, so mm. yeah, so you know, there were so many, you know, there were so many really important stories um, that uh, you know that I was part of, and I was young, and I had a lot of freedom at the Daily Maverick um, mm. as a young journalist, uh, which was wonderful, right? Uh, because also I, I don't I don't have formal journalistic training. My undergrad is in languages and literature. My postgrad is in social linguistics. Um, I don't I didn't come to journalism um, through traditional uh, means uh, or ways uh, or avenues, and um, and I think that you know in the course of doing your work, in the course of working with colleagues as well, um, you then do um, become more aware of um, the fact that uh, people have prejudices. Um, and this particularly comes to light, you know, when in the way we tackle certain stories, right? Um, when we make mistakes as an organization, no, no organization, no media organization is above making mistakes. Uh, we are human and thus we are fallible and sometimes we are going to make mistakes. Um, but I always say that the mark of good journalists is how they respond to those mistakes. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, and it was in the course of, you know, of those kinds of experiences, you know, um, that, you know, you sit, in an editorial meeting as a young journalist and you realize that but there are more than there is more than one narrative of this country um and uh you know we we appear to have a single narrative um and yet you know you look around and young black journalists don't necessarily feel empowered um at least at that time uh, to actually speak up and speak against, um, you know, what what is happening or what they think, um, and this really was, you know, that for me was very very important because it's something that I not only witnessed in my own experience, that I also saw happening across the industry. Um, a lot of young black journalists were burning out, actually uh, ending up in PR because, you know, journalism is it's it's a tough job on any day. Um, but when you also, you know, when you don't feel like you, you can be your true self and your whole self in a certain space, um, it's exhausting and it's dehumanizing, frankly. So, yeah, so that, you know, so sees with that experience of mine is actually what birthed the daily box for me, because, um, in the course of, 
you know, in the course of this experience, I remember being invited to BITS um, to guest lecture media studies class. And it was at a point where, I, you know, I, I was really feeling really disenchanted with journalism and, you know, and the spaces that I was in. And I, I, I was feeling very restless. Um, and I go to this class and I tell them because they want to know what, what life is like for a journalist, uh, a young um, journalist um, in South Africa. And I tell them that what I want, uh, those of the, from them, those of them who, you know, who harbor ambitions to join newsrooms, to be journalists, I want them to feel empowered enough to raise their voices and to challenge the status quo and, you know, to demand more narratives to exist um, of South Africa. And um, I thought that I had, you know, given a, a very impassioned plea to this young, impressionable audience. The lecture hall was full. It was an early morning. Um, and one young woman, um, stand for Q&A, and one young woman put up her hand and she said, I get you, I hear you. Um, this is what we need to do. Uh, but I want to know what are you doing right now to make it easier for us when we get there? And... Um, I was taken aback by that question because I had ceded um, any sense of agency, I think, in, that, in those spaces that I, up until that moment, I didn't think that I could actually do something or say something. That young woman ended, um, ended up being Ponzo Pilani. Um, and uh, that's how... From episode one of this series. Yes. Yes. And that's, so that's how I met Ponzo and eventually hired her. Oh, wow. And the what rest, a, as they say, is, is history. You um, know, as, as you say that, I wanted to just take you up on, on what you said there, because it, it gets me to understand this from a particular perspective, which is that you are fighting in many ways a dual battle when you're a black person, a woman in, in a newsroom. On the one hand, you are pushing for or, or thinking about at least pushing for change within your newsroom and your organization on the one hand but then on the other hand you're also trying to like fight with very important figures and and you know bring the truth out surface the truth and maybe for you know white journalists who happen to be you know predominant let's say in a certain organization they don't have that like multiple battleground feeling. You know, they come in, they do their work, they feel comfortable and they hold yeah. people to power to account. And they go home and that's it. Um, mm. uh, you know, I keep thinking, I keep saying that in my next life, I want to come back as a white woman. Um, because <laughs> I, I don't hear that, you know, I go home and I shut the door and um, you know, there's, no, there's no, no other responsibilities. Nobody needs anything else of you. And, but the truth is that for black people, it's very, very different. And you're, yeah, it's exactly that, you know, your, your role as a journalist um, is not, your, or your work is not just what you're producing or what somebody's reading or, mm. or watching or listening to what you produce. Um, your work is, is, ampl is amplified for yourself within the space that you're working because you're working to transform um, an organization and it's difficult. And as a young person, mm. that can be, that can actually be career suicide often right? Because hmm. you're, you're too loud or, you know, too, uh, you know, too questioning and um, you're a problem, right? Um, you should be grateful for the position 
that you have. Um, I, I'm happy to say, Cesar, that I think that a lot of that has changed. I think that the space is a lot more open now than it was, let's say, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I think that black journalists, young black journalists coming into newsrooms have a lot more freedom to just be themselves. Um, but it's still, it's still, it's still difficult because um, there are, you know, there are prejudices that continue to exist. I'll give you an example. When uh, I have, mm. you know, I have this other problem where I'm a, a visibly Muslim woman, right? And um, the the problem is that often the the only thing people see when I walk into a room is my headscarf. It's, uh, you know. My entire identity, anything I'm saying, just amounts to this piece of clothing, right? So people automatically assume that I am not that smart. Um, and then when I actually speak and they're like, wow, you speak so well. And, um, mm. and, and it's insulting in that same way that it's always insulting when it's uh, said to a black person. But it's particularly insulting because I know it's like somebody patting me on my back saying, well, despite this thing, you you." Okay, in there, hey. I mean, when I uh, when I, when my appointment um, at the Mail Guardian was announced, um, I was interviewed by a radio host on regional talk radio station. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it was in the midst of an overwhelming, you know, swirl of events that had happened. Suddenly, you know, I was thrust into this position um, that I had not, you know, sought, and uh, you know, but it was. It was amazing and uh, um, and yet so overwhelming. And so the announcement of my appointment goes out and, you know, I'm doing media interviews. Um, this particular host asks, asks me, so um, I'm a little worried. Um, he says, will you be able to respond properly to Gwede Mantasha when he calls at um, 11 o'clock to shout at you about one of your journalists? And so at that time, Gwede Mandash was the SG of the ANC. Um, mm. And I was again, um, I mean, I was so shocked by that question um, that I mean, I, 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 to this day, I remember this, the question very well. I can't remember my answer, right? <laughs> I can tell you that I've, I've responded many, many ways with many swear words um, in my head following that. <laughs> But that yeah. just that one question told me so much about what this person, and this is per a person who knew me, um, who'd worked with me, um, what they thought of who an editor should be, mm. right? Or the kind of body um, an editor should inhabit. That unfortunately is a, a battle we continue to wage, uh, you know, to, uh, to show that we belong um, without question. And this is this is why you know the 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 debate around merit and transformation for me is um, it's a tired one um, because there's just so much that still has to be transformed mm -hmm. um, and we have to be honest about that. Well, we have not done enough. Um, we've we've done some good things um we certainly like i said um i think the media looks very different um now than it did 10 years ago and that's you know by it's not by accident mm. right mm. um but there's still a lot of work to do there's still a lot of work to do there's still um there still has to be a lot more uh work to be done in for example media management 
so on that, um, by the way, when you, when you, when you, when you made your earlier point, I was thinking of the article that, that you wrote on assuming the editorship of the Mail and Guardian in November 2016, um, where you said, and I quote, for some, ascending the ranks to one of the most prized positions in journalism in Africa is a rite of passage. It's never questioned. It's the order of the universe. It's the way things are done. I, however, am not supposed to be here. I'm certainly not supposed to have arrived here with such apparent haste, and I'm not supposed to look so different. And it, it just made me think about what it means when, when you are asked to be the editor of a major publication in South Africa as a Muslim woman or a black man or uh, someone who's not a white man or maybe even a white woman. Um, I don't think like we know what that feels like. You know, I don't think we've sat back and thought we, we're all about putting pressure on, on you and, and telling you what we think you should do. But does a young aspiring editor know what it's like to be in that hot seat and feel all the different things that are coming at you um, when you are actually given that opportunity? You know, I, I didn't know what I was in for, hmm. um, to be honest. Um, suddenly I had, you know, I had flowers arriving from the CEO of F&B and I was like, wow. Uh, oh my. <laughs> uh, you, you know, um, the other day I was, you know, an ordinary person. Now suddenly, um, mm. you know, the country's top executives are sending me flowers. And um, yeah, sure. it's, it's a whole other universe. Um, scenes where, um, and I'm grateful to have entered that universe at in a place like the Mail and Guardian. The Mail and Guardian newsroom mm. is a fantastic newsroom. It has a very democratic spirit, um, and that's you know part of its genesis. Um, um, and it's very very self-aware. So uh, you know I'm I'm grateful uh, you know to have to have had that experience. Even though I can tell you that even within the newsroom, there's still issues, right? I mean, sure. when I arrived there, there was, I mean, one of the, my first briefings was with the HR manager was like, you have a huge racism problem to deal with. Um, and I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> uh, um, and then she takes out, you know, wow. like kind of like a, a ganogram and she's like, I think this one's racist. I think that one's racist. And I was like, oh dear goodness. Um, <laughs> right. Um, that's crazy. And this is on top of, you know, um, first of all, trying to keep a, a good newsroom afloat in very challenging financial conditions, trying to keep the integrity of your work up when um, there is an organized campaign against uh, the work of journalism. And you're still wanting to do good, solid work. Um, there is a lot, you know, there's a lot of pressure in a moment, in any given moment in the life of an editor, mm. um, particularly so for a young black editor, because we don't have room to be mediocre. You have to be excellent. Um, there is uh, no, no one's giving you space. You're, you're judged from the minute you get there. Um, and you're expected to shine right through. There's, um, you, know, you, you cannot possibly be uh, mediocre. Um, and yeah, so there's, you know, the, the, the thing about South Africa, um, you know, in these last few years is that we are having so many challenging conversations about race and culture and gender. Um, and uh, 
and this is particularly important when we have these conversations in newsrooms because mm -hmm. this is a space in which we are putting a mirror back into society right so when we are having an argument in the newsroom over whether we should italicize um, you know other indigenous languages in the paper and what it means when we are treating um, Isi Zulu uh, and Isi Zulu word in the paper as a foreign language. Um, you know, those kinds of conversations are the ones that are important because they may sound trivial in mm. the bigger story. But those are the kind of questions that are important in instilling a newsroom culture. It's important in ensuring that the people who are in that newsroom, when you're bringing young black people, that they feel at ease. Mm, um, mm. and that they feel able to bring their whole self to work. Um, and so though that's important. Like I said, they're still, you know, just thinking about it now, uh, you, you, you point out that, you know, that piece that I wrote was in November of 2016. So mm. in December of that year, it's just, I mean, I was at the MNG formally for maybe about two or three months uh, or so. Uh, we yeah. put the last edition of the paper to bed. Um, it was a lovely summer afternoon. Um, it was, you know, nice sense of accomplishment. Uh, mm. We, you know, just having a nice chat. I, I then uh, went into my office to um, see to some admin. My deputy joined me a little bit later. He was sitting and chatting to me. And somebody else, um, walked into the newsroom, um, there was a bottle of champagne that had been uh, popped. Um, uh, you know, it was a celebration. Um, we'd seen the year out. And um, this person brought two flutes of champagne um, to the office, gave one to my deputy and then gestured to give me one. And I politely declined. Um, and so my deputy looked at this person and said, but isn't it rude? For you to give um, Khadija, uh, offer her um, alcohol uh, when you know she's a Muslim. And this person said, Well, she's breaking so many rules by just being here. So I figured, what's one more? Hmm. Um, and it's those kinds of remarks, um, mm. especially early on, that told me a lot about how even a very liberal space. Mm. Mm. Um, encounters difference. Mm. And sometimes um, that can be the worst, right? Because the liberal spaces exactly. are the spaces where people assume that they have no exactly. blind spots. Yes. Um, and that's, I mean, the, the most, the hardest conversations we had in the Mail and Guardian. So we had, I mean, we had this ritual where on a Friday we had something called a review. Um, so at 10 o'clock on a Friday, basically uh, we discuss you know, what we'd done well for the week, what we, uh, you know, what we fell short on. And it was really just an open floor for people to air, um, you know, their thoughts, um, their experiences for us to discuss media ethics issues, um, mm -hmm. bitch a little bit about the suits, you know, Oh, healthy things. Um, mm, mm. And um, often those conversations, um, you know, became sites of us questioning why we do things the way we do. Um, mm. Why was, you know, a, a certain image used in this way? Um, what it says about Black people that we used um, this word and not that, um, mm, mm. you know? Um, and 
in yeah, and for 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 the older white liberal generation who um you know who had no question of their politics before this right because it was easy mm -hmm. to be on i keep saying it was easy to be on the good side uh, in the apartheid days i mean like you were either for it or against it and if you were for if, i mean if you were not against it then you were just not a nice person um so you know th that questioning the, the fact that just because you were a radical in 1985 yeah. Um, yeah. Does not mean that you know your your politics have stayed radical in mm. twenty sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, mm. And yes, and and I guess that's a reflection of what's happening elsewhere um, in South Africa, and not just in newsrooms. Mm. Um, those, it, but they are they, they're very very difficult um, to have those conversations. Um, I mean, there's sometimes you know that I wondered whether we do it too much um surely uh you know it's not our responsibility to educate uh people to be decent human beings um mm. but um but again this is south africa at a particular moment in time um and we are creating a product um that we hope uh, does many many things at the same time but uh, but importantly communicates with people and for that um, you know we have to be very very introspective I think mm. Um, mm. about Absolutely. what we do and how we do it yeah wow I have so many things to ask you um, you know well let me let me start with one which is you're a South African of Indian descent and that adds a new dimension to some of the conversations we've had in this series, because obviously you're on the receiving end of, of racism. You have various other um, parts of your identity that matter to you, and there are intersections there as well. But it's a different, it's a different experience from other Black South Africans in newsrooms. Yeah. Um, I was actually, there's, I was reading some academic literature about the, the experiences of Indian women in newsrooms. Um, what what um, kinds of experiences did you go through, and, and what did you think that your perspective um, enabled you to see as an Indian woman in a newsroom um, in one of the most important publications, and also as a founder of of you know the Daily Vox? Yeah, Caesar. Uh, the thing that uh, I just thought about right now, um, I got to the MNG at the point where you know, kind of like the waning years of the Gupta era. Um, mm. Klima Dancela mm. state capture report um, happened, I think, a couple of, no, it was my first edition. My first edition wow. at the MNG uh, coincided with, with the release of Tulima Dancela's report, right? Oh, um, I, yeah, it feels like, whew, it feels like 10 years ago. Tell me about um, it. And there was this rumor going around, right, that I only caught wind of um, much later. Uh, maybe okay. even close to a year after I had gotten to the MNG that I was actually a Gupta stooge. Um, <laughs> that um, I was actually on Salim Essa's payroll. The, the Guptas had strategically placed me at the MNG to thwart um, negative coverage of them. So that is so ridiculous. Um, I mean, first of all, I want to know, Salim, you've been late on my, you know, checks all these years, if uh, I have indeed <laughs> been on your payroll. Um, 
but more seriously, the only thing that could point people to the fact <laughs> or, or, or the possibility that I was a Gupta stooge was my ethnicity. Um, mm, mm, really offensive. It is really, mm. really offensive. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of the kind of social media harassment that I, you know, that I received through mm. the years has mm. been, you know, sort of like in that vein of, uh, you know, go back <laughs> to India, um, uh, where's the Guptas now, the Guptas are gone, go back with them. Mm. Um, mm. Right. Um, so that, you know, for me, that was my experience. I, and I can't speak for the, you know, for the totality of Indian women's experiences sure. um, in newsroom, uh, in newsrooms, but it is, you know, it is, it's weird. It's just weird. And it's, it's mm. maddening. I, I can tell you, Caesar, when, you know, when I caught wind of that, of that rumor, um, I was so angry. I was just yeah. so angry because how dare people, you know, concoct such an elaborate story um, mm. based on what, on what? Uh, it was just, it's just maddening even now when I think about it, you know, like it's, mm. what the hell, man, guys, what the hell? Um, yeah, yeah. It's just not cool. It's not, you know, and it's, it's dehumanizing. Um, it's, 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 I, it's, I cannot, I just can't w with that. And, but it's also so fascinating to see the different ways that racism works depending on your perspective yeah. and your identity. Um, and, and to realize that, racism within the media and as received by journalists is, is multifaceted and there are various forms which affect people differently. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this is, and this is why we can't talk about racism in the media without talking about racism um, as a social construct um, outside of the media. Right. Um, and then, and then how that social construct depends on the media to continue. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, so there's, there's, uh, for me, I know, you know, there, there's so many people who say, oh, no, not another conversation about race. Excuse me, I'll tell you that for uh, at least a year while I was at MNG, the fantastic Melissa Tando Bongela was my art editor. Yes. Millie is amazing. She is amazing. And, she, you know, she's, she's always, you know, she's always asking hard questions with her work. Right, um, and she's fantastic at that. Um, and I remember one edition. Um, there was a, uh, there was actually, you know, like a social media meme um, going on that week where um, people were talk, black people were talking about the first time they realized that racism exists. Right, and um, mm. people were sharing their experiences, um, you know, often as children um, when they realized. Uh, you know, or their first experience of racism, so to speak. Yeah. So Millie did this fantastic thing where she did, um, you know, the, the, so Friday, which is arts and culture, um, uh, you know, package of the uh, of the Mail and Guardian. Um, so the the cover, because it's a pullout, or it, it was at that time. So the you know, so the cover, so both the front and the back page. She basically um, republished um, with a stark black background and white text with these little snippets. Um, or people's experiences of when they actually experienced racism um, for the first time or, or, or understood racism exists. Mm. Um, it was a very, very powerful 
illustration of the moment. Um, and I remember uh, that um, that Friday when the paper was published, I'd gone over to have a an AXCO meeting, um, you know, so that's with, you know, the other heads of department, um, you know, outside of editorial as well. Mm. And um, the head of commercial was a, a white woman at the time. Um, she came to me with the um, with with the with the Friday um, in her hand, um, and she said to me, "What is this?" And I said, "It's this week's edition of Friday. Why?" Um, and she said, "Why are we publishing things about racism?" And I was like, "Oh, first of all, who are you to ask me? I'm the editor. But what do you mean?" Um, and she basically said, it's absolutely disgusting that we are falling into this trap of, uh, you know, uh, of talking about uh, racism as if it's the most important thing in South Africa. Um, and I was so taken aback wow. by that, right? Um, that I could only walk out of there without screaming or shouting or really losing my dignity. Um, in that moment. Um, it was still early days, Sizu, let me tell you this. They'll tell you, um, if you ask people at the MNG, um, in the coming years, I thought nothing of screaming, <laughs> shouting, swearing, and throwing things at people. I've done it before. Right. Um, but this is the reason I'm putting this, um, and I'm making a point of this, Sizu, is that mm, mm. Um, when we talk about racism in the media, we're often only talking about it from, an, uh, from a newsroom point of view. Mm. But um, most newsrooms in South Africa still uh, um, count on advertising to pay most of its bills. Right. Right. Um, and if the advertising agencies are also not having a transformation moment hmm. and are also not, uh, you know, having the same conversations and also able to relate them to how publications are transforming themselves. Hmm. Um, for goodness sake, they, they should be they should be thinking like, are we going to give these advertising brands to companies that aren't serious about transformation? Thank you. And but but my experience of you know often going to these agency meetings is mm. they, there's no awareness of this as an issue at all. That's such an interesting um, because people wouldn't think like transformation the media advertising. We know they're linked, but we don't see how. A link on the question of race yeah. and, and discrimination, yeah. and and um, and for me, this is you know this is an important you know it's an important mm. milestone that we are yet mm. to reach. Um, most you know, in my experience of people in ad sales, um, they have no clue about uh, you know social dynamics, mm. um, and are not likely to be able to make decisions. Um, based on, uh, you know, on race or gender or, you know, um, or really on, on issues, of, you know, that, um, that I measure transformation in any, in any sense. Um, and that's for me, you know, this is a problem because this is, this is predominantly the, you know, we, the, the, it's a capitalist society, unfortunately, when, uh, when the capital does not tra transform itself. Um, we're, we're not going anywhere. Well, Khadija, uh, 
it's been an honor to have you on SMWX. You have uh, dropped bombshell after bombshell, and it's been so fascinating just to just to go behind the scenes of what it's like to be in you know some of the positions that you've been in, and uh, just to learn more about the landscape and how it affects the wider country and how the wider country affects it. So, on behalf of the entire audience. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on SMWX. Thank you for having me. And um, to many more Liverpool titles. Indeed. I hear you.